This podcast is Entel Enhanced. To see pictures, articles and links of what's being discussed, download the Entel app. Hello, welcome to the Big Scuba Show. My name is Arzujan Ashkin, but most people know me as Suzu. And what excites me most about diving is the technical aspect of diving deep and meeting unique wildlife underwater. Welcome back to the Big Scooper podcast. We are your hosts, Gemma and Ian. Before we get cracking with today's episode, we just want to make sure you have hit that follow button or the subscribe button, depending on what platform you are listening on. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you enjoy what you're going to hear today, we would really appreciate it if you can leave a review and a five-star rating. So now that's out of the way, we just want to say welcome and thank you for all tuning in. And now it's time to dive into today's episode. Morning. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Big Scuba podcast. This is episode 131. My name's Ian. I'm one of the co-hosts. Uh, with me is... My name's Gemma and I'm the other co-host. Welcome yes. to the Big Scuba podcast. What on earth is this podcast all about? <laughs> it's about, well, scuba. And it's about the There's underwater. Thank, well, thanks. Thank you very much. Put it in a nutshell. It's about the underwater world. And we talk to people all involved in the underwater world as well as on top of the water as well. So it's not exclusively diving. We're talking to people. We talk to them funny lot who like to get on top of a bad paddleboard and kayak as well. <laughs> Sailors, so, uh, yes. Yeah. So uh, we have a, have a chat about all that and about what we've been up to and we get some great guests and we've got another great guest we have this time yep but we'll uh it's a really lovely lovely uh guest and conversation that we have with azukin askin or zuzu or zuzu yes and uh she likes to get hugged by caves yes (laughs) do you hug a cave or would you get hugged by caves you'd get hugged by a cave so you're diving in caves yeah you won't get hugged by a cave too tightly well some people do don't they George? Yeah, no, shush. <laughs> they like it's to okay, squeeze. It's all right. It's fine. It's all right. He's out and he's repaired and he's fighting fit. And uh, yeah. Hello, George, by the way. Uh, he was actually sharing about uh, Capri the other day. I don't know if anyone saw that. Yeah, but I think he's, he's, he's getting back into the he cave is, hugging, he isn't he? Is, he is. He is. Uh, okay. Um, enough about George for the minute. Let's talk about what's coming up on the podcast this week. We have got a guest for you. As we said, we've got a Zookin or Zuzu coming up. Um, we've been diving, we've been at Stony Cove, uh, there's lots of dive shows around at the moment. Yeah, there's been Oztech in, I think that was based in Melbourne, wasn't yeah, it? There's, yeah, there's uh, Oztech dive talk going on, uh, actually as we speak, and also got Dima coming up very shortly yes, in yeah. Americas. Um, let's talk about Stony Cove, um, mm-hmm. why so- we went. Yep, because uh, we were thinking about going to actually Swanage Pier, weren't we? We were, but we decided um, to have a little bit of a bit of a training exercise, wasn't it, at Stony? And we had a purpose. Yeah. To... So we're based in East Anglia. We are on the east end of the country. Um, we are east coast. East coast, and uh, Swanage is virtually the opposite side of the country. Yes, it's a good six, seven hour drive Which away. If you're in America, you know, a couple of hours drive is nothing. You know, but this was, um, I think for us, it's about five hours drive. Yeah. So it's five to six hours. And the only other thing there, we had the weather, yeah, which is really a bit... Yeah, they had really quite strong uh, southwesterly winds, which 
Um, by when we spoke to uh, the guys down there, um, I should got to say thank you very much uh, for their uh, information. The pier is actually sheltered by South Westerlies, mm-hmm. but depends on how much rain they'd got the night before. So we thought, well, um, you know, it might be a bit too much of a long drive for, uh, as a gamble. And you particularly wanted to do some work on your buoyancy on this dive? Yeah, my uh, O3 dry suit. So I'd struggled a bit on a previous dive, uh, Cape and Ray, and got a bit floaty. So I just wanted to sort some weights out and have a bit more of a practice. So booked up, um, went Stony. Good seeing our good friends at Stony Cove. Hello, you guys. And uh, had a really nice dive at Stony Cove. The visibility was really good. And, uh, you know... In the water's about 18 degrees. Yeah, lovely weather on the top as well. Lovely and Loads bright, of wasn't it? Wetsuits. I was yeah. in a wetsuit. Yeah, so, and it was reasonably steady with people, wasn't it? It wasn't overly busy. No, it wasn't so, busy at all. Um, no, our, no. Chris, our friends at Crystal Seas were there doing a wreck speciality and some open water yeah. diving. Yeah. So, and we hopped in and got two Hands dives. Hands up done. if you've seen one of the Stony Cove carp, though. We have. <laughs> yes. Now we, we spoke to Martin in the shop, and uh, he said, um, "I think they. I think he said they got put in in '97." Yeah. So they, they were, were put in ghost carp and mirror carp. Well, it depends. It depends. They're, so depends if they've got one mirror. So a mirror carp has got like a, scale. a big scale, mm. and that they're regarded as a mirror. So if if a ghost carp has got one mirror, then it's regarded as so, a mirror carp. Yeah. I understand. So, if, you've got, if I'm wrong, do do say. <laughs> but the ghost uh, carp was it is white, isn't it? Big, two, it's two biggins, two mm. two real biggins. One is one I would say is probably about fifteen pounds, and the other um, is quite a slab. And that was I was put quite that a good, slab. Yeah, it's quite a slab of a fish. Oh, slab, slab. slab. I thought you said slab. No, slab uh, of about of a fish. Slab about so about twenty, maybe twenty. Two stone uh, pounds, even. <laughs> yes. And um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I was looking <laughs> no, no. across the road. Your mind wandered. Mind wandered. And uh, yes, uh, quite big fish. So we we got a bit of footage on them. Uh, it's quite eerie was, watching them come towards us, yeah, wasn't it? I saw the pike. Uh, the Lots of pike. Baby uh, perch. But absolute thousands of. Uh, baby perch it was i've never seen well obviously done a few dives at stony and never seen the life there that we saw i've seen other shoals but not quite as much the cockpit everyone knows the cockpit the cockpit was just absolutely solid that was rammed off it It was absolutely amazing yeah yeah um and viz is really good um like we said so good time to go diving um you know uh looks like you know our coastal dives sort of probably coming towards the end i think next weekend might be as a chance mm. um but um with crystal seas next week um but yes yeah, it's, it's sort of on our coast to sort of coming to the it's pretty rough to today end. we've been out for our run and yeah, it's, yeah really it's churned up. Rough. yeah um but if you want to get in the water and uh you know practice anything or do something stony cove is a good place and yeah. uh, good as any and, and um yeah viz and lots of fish to see it's worth getting yeah. in so diving wise we stayed on the shelf so maximum so let's just go back so you've got um o3 very kindly have lent you the suit to use yeah an msf 500 yeah and uh, so you're now getting used to this o3 suit of yours. yes i've had a 
uh, cuff dump put on as well. So yeah. that's the extra. That and you've got pockets. So got pockets. Welcome, welcome to the revolution. <laughs> haven't used them yet, really. It's <laughs> great. I'm pockets. used to not having pockets. Um, but yeah, I think it's a more buoyant dry suit than my fourth element. Uh, Hydra. So when we, uh, when we, when you last used it, you were struggling mid dive, weren't you? With your Particularly on a safety stop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it's... obviously the tank had gone low. So one of the things you wanted to do is uh, sort out your weight in. So I've actually put two more kilos on, yeah. and that was a revelation. Yeah, yeah. so it's helped out a lot, yeah. isn't it? So, uh... Yeah. So it's they were probably one of the. Really good dives at Stony, weren't they? It's yeah, Stony. brilliant. Yeah. yeah, really nice. Yeah, yeah. And, and that happens. There's nothing wrong with adding another couple of kilos mm. if it means that's what you need, you know. So, uh, well, for a happier dive, it yeah, makes a difference. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So that was really good. So we've got um, that all sorted and I'm ready for my next dive, which will be next Saturday. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, I think um, you've reached out to a few people, haven't you? Yeah, diving with somebody else apart from you. Yay! <laughs> Should I think it's good? I think it's um, yeah. That will be you know, a first. Let's know what you think. Um, you know, my my view is for Gemos. You know, as we know, is a um, you know I wouldn't say a new diver, but you're in your early stage of your diving yeah. career and um, not a regular done fifty dives. And it's good for you to spread. I think your uh, experience by diving with other people. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, because different people will throw up, not by any. Uh, means a fault or anything like that but we're all different we all have our own little ways like we all drive a car in a different way <laughs> yes you know? yeah and you'll find that when you buddy up with other people they will dive in a slightly different way so mm. and i'm not you know I'm, I'm not the best dive in the world so it'd be good for you to and it helped me when i was yes yeah uh, you know in in your stage of the career it, it, by you know, I was diving with all sorts, you know. Mm. I was in the, the Polly Wakes lucky dip of buddies. <laughs> well, that'll be neat me and, next uh, weekend. Went with who, Do you want to dive? Can you dive with me and I'll, I'll follow you around? And, uh, you know, or vice versa. And, uh, yeah, that was great. Yeah. Yep. So we can get to Stony Cove next Saturday. And um, so if anybody's there, come and say hello. The flag will be flying. Yep. And you'll be DMing, won't you? Dive yeah, mastering. Yeah, so I'm DM uh, duty. Uh, Polly's DM, and uh, I've got a small group of students. Open water. Open water. Yeah. So I probably, I might on the Saturday dive in my wetsuit because the water's still going to be warm, and most of it's going to be on the surface and and re- you know, sh- shallow. Just going to yeah. be on the, sh- on the shelf in a few meters. And I'm just thinking, well, if it's going to be a nice day, I think I'll just put my wetsuit on. Yeah, we need a day like today, where, lovely sunny you know, weather. Where on the su- Sunday we always go a bit deeper on the su- on the second on those on the Sunday uh, to take the students down so they get a little bit more of a feeling for depth. Mm-hmm. So we're about not far, only about twelve meters. Um, but you, you know, um, so I'll probably wear my dry suit for that one. Yeah. Well, you yeah. should have it back by then. Yeah, O three. Yeah, I just didn't mention. I should give O three a shout out. O um, three, I've got my dry suit doing a, a repair on it because um you, it was leaking around the crotch area of all areas and a new neck seal as well and that... a new neck seal yep. yeah so um so yeah hello to chloe and tom tom and tom and tom so, uh, <laughs> yeah uh who are getting all that sorted i should get that back next week yeah and we need to mention the o3 because they have a sale coming up from the 15th of october yes uh quite a good sale um i've got my eye on one of the hoodies actually uh, if you if you are, I think you've 
I think you can order, can't you? And they'll send it out. I don't think you have to go into the shop. Don't think so, but double check. But go on their website and have yeah, a look and uh, yeah, that starts. Give them a call. But they have got a sale next weekend from 15th and 16th. Uh, they've got a sale. So, you know, if you think about a dry suit or new set of thermals, now's the time. Winter's coming. If you want to get those thermals. Yeah, yeah. So have a look and see what they've got. And, uh, yeah, I think we'll all have a look, won't we? Yeah, uh, we did say it. We'll share on our social media as well So uh, about that. So, um yeah, look out for more details. Um, okay, so that was us diving um, at Stony, and you know, do book up um, if you if particularly like your fish. Mm. Lots, lot of wildlife. <laughs> like seeing fish. Yeah, yes, yeah, <laughs> a lot, lot to see. Uh, coming up later in the month, we have got Ben. Ben is back with us, with and he's going to be the, give us the first of his uh, regularly. Um, well, probably monthly updates. Yeah, so Ben Benji, we spoke to him a few episodes back and he told us all about he, he's um, on the Barbara Bee, which is a dive boat. Yeah, he's captain of the Barbara Bee, isn't he? Yeah, and it's not just a dive boat. Um, out of season, he then goes whelk fishing and he does different projects with I universities. Know how to catch whelks. Well, hopefully he's going to tell us that, isn't he? Yeah. So, so he'll be coming back on. But if you've got any questions for Ben, um, obviously being skipper of a boat, um, if you want to ask him any questions, he really loves Lundy. So if you've got any questions about Lundy Island, he's, he's a, the man. Uh, he's, he's the youngest coxswain of the RNLI boat as yep. well. Yep. Not just that one, but nationally. So uh, he's you know come from a family. Uh, seafaring being, family. A seafaring yeah. family. Well known in the area, him and his family. His dad, his dad runs a dive boat. He's been involved lots of people with lots of different people. Uh, I think Ross Kemp, when he did his programme, used their He was on The Obsession, well. yeah. Uh, so, well known. And it's going it's to be really cool having Ben on. Uh, and we're, we're looking forward to having yeah, his regular catch up updates. With him. Because he's going to show us a whole different light, you know, of, you know, what what do dive captains do in the winter when, yeah. when they're not diving anymore? And, so, know, he's based in Ilfracombe yeah. in North Devon. So, that's his position where he Hopefully is in the country. Hopefully, we'll get a few funny stories. And that. We're not going to... It's not about shaming people or anything like that no no it's but just if about the... a few funny stories he can tell us that'd be that'd be really cool i'm sure he's got lots <laughs> i'm sure he has yeah yeah so that's coming up so any questions then drop us an email or send us a message on our social ben. media yeah. put on put on the email ask ben yeah <laughs> <laughs> and we will yeah so that's that's really exciting to, okay. coming up uh oztech so oztech is going is just finished uh, look like there's been some brilliant speakers. If you go to the, their website, there's still stuff. We have spoke to a few of the, the previous speakers, um, but it looked like it's been a really good show. I see Ranva from Fourth Element. Yeah, they did um, a chat about their um, dive in the caves. Maria Bollerup, Gareth Locke, Anthony Gordon. Uh, the list goes on. Yeah, there's Peter Med- Mesley. Yeah, and then we've got Dive Portugal going on last day today, the 9th of October. And again, some of the people from Oztec are speaking. In... Well, Gareth Locke, he, so he was talking, so how busy is he? So he was <laughs> he, he was talking at Oztec, and he's actually talking this weekend at um, Dive Talk as well in Portugal. Yeah, wow, busy people. Yeah, yeah so we'll, we'll have a look and uh, put some links to the people that we have spoken to on previous podcasts. Yeah, so uh, look out for that. And as we said... So that actually uh, finishes today, Dive mm. Talk. So uh, yeah. by the time this come out, that'll be finished. But you can look back and I'm sure uh, get details on their social media. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
that's about it, isn't it? Um, so Dima is in November. Um, there's been lots of um, there's lots of stuff going on at the moment. Uh, if anyone follows LinkedIn, um, it's worth looking at LinkedIn. There's lots mm-hmm. of interesting posts and things like that at the moment. Um, so you know, and we're always sharing on on there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're we're everywhere. Yeah. Um, while we very before we get Azukin on, um, let's just mention very quickly as well. We got so we've we're joined up with some um, brands, good brands. Okay, you, you know about the Happy Bottles. Okay, winter's coming. You might want a cup of tea or any you, coffee, uh, hot drink after diving. You flask. I use it every day. I use mine every day for work. Mm-hmm. We've took it one down to the staying garth, and it survived. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah. So um, they're lovely, bright colours, and Mine's yeah, black. Well, I've got matches my dive pur- suit. I've got a purple one and, and a pink one. <laughs> <laughs> matches it virtually everything about my dive kit because virtually everything yeah. is black. But with 100%, they they do what they say on the tin. They keep your drinks cold and they yeah. keep your hot drinks hot. And you can say 20% if you if you want if you want a good flask, go there and you you can save 20% by just using the code is it's big scuba. Big scuba. Yeah. There we go. Uh, SDC watches. We told you about them. Um, if you want a really nice watch, you're thinking about a present for somebody, maybe Christmas. Um, we, you know, we really like their brand because the, he's using uh, uh, Ups- old upcycled wetsuits yes. to make the straps. Yeah. So we spoke to Sean Clements in episode 129, yeah. and then you can hear all about his story and, and the brand of the SDC watch. Yeah. So, so yeah, again. Use the code Big Scuba and you get a ten percent discount. Yeah, and lastly, um, but not least, lastly is Waterhall, another great brand yeah. um, that we have, uh, we sort of admired from afar, and we thought would say hello, and uh, we like their brand because they do a lot about uh, recycling plastic. Um, we're making litter picking um, equipment, make hoops, they make the actual pickers as well. Um, knife know, yeah and I've used them for work they're actually you know they're absolutely fine and uh, we wouldn't recommend them if we didn't um, they, you can buy you get a knife as well um, although, which is handy I guess handy for well it is if you're on the beach line and stuff yeah, like that yeah. you, know, if, you might find a hook you know so that's really good uh, the blade is uh, is on the legal limit so uh, so it's fine you're allowed to carry that um, and also uh, they make some really snazzy sunglasses, which are really cool. And there's a good choice. Polarizing. I'm wearing mine as we speak. You've got yours on, <laughs> I've got mine you? on my head. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, so there's various different styles um, and lens colors. Um, they're made in Italy, but the main thing, the frames are made out of up, well, recycled fishing gear, fishing yeah. net. So, um, so that they've got a really good story behind them. So again, if you go on the website choose your sunglasses or your litter picking equipment and pop in the code big scuba you'll get another discount yeah so there we go so yeah. uh, three good things of uh presents and what have you uh it's getting that time it's in tesco's and all it the is others. yeah and then on top of that if you fancy buying somebody a good book to read yeah. a good christmas present or a gift we've got an amazon bookstore so the link is in the show notes they're where... not just any books so when we've had previous guests on mm. um, uh, a lot of our guests have either written books, they're featured in books, um, there's some connection with books. Um, you know, we've actually featured them and they actually feature on our website 
and there's one central place where you can go hey I'll, i like that book yeah and it actually says on there where they what episode and you know a bit about the author uh, or, or our guest of why they were in that book. Yeah, yep. So if you head to our website, www.thebigscuba.com, and then yep. you can go to our library page and uh, have a look at the books. Yeah, yeah, have a look. Uh, we always would like your feedback. Uh, don't forget to leave us a, um, a re- review. We ask every week. Nobody ever take any notice. I don't. Does anybody <laughs> listen don't. to the podcast? I, I hope Come you on, do. surprises. <laughs> surprises. It doesn't cost anything. Just uh, a, a review to let us know what you, th- what you think about the podcast. And, um, you know, that'd be really cool. You yeah, know? it'd just be really hey, nice. Hey, we'll even give you a shout out and say, hey, thanks for uh, leaving us a five-star review. That'd be really cool. And that really helps other divers uh, find our podcast yeah so we look forward to hearing it's from free, you honestly i don't i'm not lying to you it's free <laughs> yeah so let's or just have a look at our website it's all updated yeah. tell us what you think yeah yeah it's all on there even pictures of you on there isn't it? thanks <laughs> <laughs> right let's get that's enough of this let's get azukin on and uh, let's have a chat with her and find out what she's about and uh, find out about this hug and caves business yes yeah yeah so um yeah have a, a relax and a listen and um yeah she's got an awful lot to talk about and tell us about and uh, yeah a lovely story and a lovely person if you press pause now you can go make your coffee come back and then you can <laughs> listen to the conversation yeah so this is Azukin Askin let's do it Hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. It's so great to meet you guys finally. Hey. <laughs> yeah, you too. So, Zuzu, welcome to the Big Scuba Podcast. It's hey. really nice to have you here. And you're out in Indonesia at the moment. I am indeed. I'm in the, the small town called Ahmed in the north, which is mostly known for freediving, but it's also got an amazing technical dive instructor, Mark Crane, who I first met here. And he's kind of one of the reasons I ended up staying here for a little bit longer yeah yeah no that's really good so how did your underwater journey start oh it started as a kid I learned swimming before I learned walking Um, my parents would always take me to Turkey in the summers as a baby and I just always loved the sea and then at 15 I did my first scuba certification and was instantly hooked and then in high school I joined a scientific diving program called the Coral Monitors Um, And this was in a school in Hong Kong that taught us how to dive scientifically and taught us how to monitor coral reefs. So I did that for two years. And then I went the standard path, became a rescue diver, became a dive master, worked as a dive master. And then I was awarded the Rolex Scholarship, which is a scholarship for young divers that covers a year of... Sorry, my puppy's crying. (laughs) It's a scholarship for young divers that covers a year of advanced dive training, marine science underwater photography filmmaking underwater medicine Um, and so that scholarship took me around the world and that's when I became a technical diver so I did my advanced decompression diving qualifications I became an extended range trimix CCR diver so I'm now certified on two units to dive on rebreathers and yeah basically now the ocean is my full-time office <laughs> although right now I'm on land but <laughs> the idea is to be underwater as much as possible and as long as possible brilliant yeah yeah so with the Rolex uh, scholarship you actually put in an application yeah yeah so you have to write a series of application essays consisting of 
what your vision is for the future of the oceans and how you're going to contribute to that. Another one regarding your dive training, what your training plans are, sort of the diving skills you really wish to learn and why. And then you also have an interview, which was terrifying <laughs> when I had mine. <laughs> it was very, very intense questions. And then, yeah, there's three scholarships awarded globally. So there's a European scholarship, which went to me last year. There's an Australasian scholarship and there's a North American scholarship as well. As, um, I've only heard about this over the last sort of couple of years. And um, uh, it sounds such an amazing opportunity for, any, for anyone who uh, are lucky enough and fortunate enough to be selected for that. And um, I think of some previous people, who, you know, and we spoke to a few of them and they're all gone on to do some amazing stuff. Mm -hmm. And you spend time with some amazing mentors as well. You do. I mean, it's it's a year where when you when you receive the scholarship people always say you can reach for the stars anything yeah. is possible if you if you make it happen in the scholarship year now i had the scholarship during covid so my year was not a traditional scholarship year yeah. in that sense a lot of big expeditions i was meant to be on were cancelled or opportunities mm. to work out because of permits or health um, restrictions on numbers of crew but we've had people work with some of the world's leading cave divers. We've had people join Nat Geo underwater expeditions. I got to go to the Arctic during my year on a wow. very special project called Arctic Sense. And what was that like? It was a sailing project because um, my big passion, aside from diving, is sailing. And I yeah. always wanted to bring the two together because it's wow. a way of traveling without carbon emissions and it's quiet. So I work as a conservation scientist, so I work with wildlife. So diving is a tool for me to meet wildlife and study wildlife. But so is sailing, because when you're in the Arctic on an icebreaker, maybe you'll see a whale, but the whale is not going to come up to the side of your boat and hang out and really have a, have a proper encounter and interaction with you. Whereas on yeah. a small sailboat, they stay around, they look at you, you really feel like you're communicating with them, and it's much easier to study them because you're quiet. Yeah. So we headed out to 80 degrees north, into uncharted Arctic waters. Wow. And I had my first ever ice dive in my uh, new dry suit there. Went, dived under the ice, collected water samples, deployed acoustic monitoring equipment to listen for the whales. Yeah. Um, a lot of Arctic whales have frequencies that we can't hear with our human ears. Oh, okay. But the equipment, the monitoring equipment called the hydrophones, they're able to pick up on those frequencies and you can see that on a graph on your computer and you know you it's a whale. You can't wow. hear it. <laughs> oh, wow. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah so could you like alter the frequencies down or up so you could then hear what they were doing you can edit some of them but it would it would take a lot of editing and you'd still barely be able to hear a proper sound all right mm -hmm. okay so mostly you rely on the spectrogram to see it on the screen some whales you can hear like obviously a comeback whales for example um you can hear singing but we, we haven't had those up in the arctic anymore <laughs> we're mostly working with blue whales and minke whales um there were some belugas as well wow. um we didn't see them but our monitoring equipment picked up on them wow like, oh, there's a beluga somewhere there <laughs> yeah so what was it what was the um diving like in such extreme temperatures cold <laughs> aside from cold it's 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 challenging and every ice diver knows this 
is the amount of equipment you're wearing. So all the layers, and I'm someone who gets really cold. So I was wearing multiple undergarments and I just looked like a Michelin man in my dry suit. Because, you know, you think you look really cool in your dry suit and then you look at the pictures and you just look like a slob. <laughs> Um, and obviously you have to dive with steel tanks and extra weights. So in my case, I was wearing kit that weighed more than my own body weight. Wow. And doing that on a small sailboat that's rocking and doesn't have much space to move around. Wow. Jumping off and getting back on, especially, it was very challenging, but very rewarding. Yeah. So you didn't have to step too far on the boat then, I, 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 I presume. You kind of like got geared up and virtually straight in the water if you've got all that weight on. Yeah, geared wow. up to two steps and I was out in the water already. Diver fitness. <laughs> yeah, that was, that's when it all comes together. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm, one of my missions, I actually wrote this in my diary after the Arctic expedition was lift more weights to be more ready for these kind of things. Because yeah. as a small, petite woman, I was really, really struggling. You know, for the big guys on the boat, it's not a problem because they're all tall and strong and they've been diving under ice a lot, whereas I came from the tropics and I was all skinny after like a year of working behind my desk at university. <laughs> I showed up and <laughs> barely moved. That must be such a shock to the system when you're used to, you know, warm water conditions and that and go, and go from one extreme right to the other extreme. Yeah. It was, but more the gearing up part. As soon as I was in the water, my brain went, wow. And I completely forgot that I was wearing kit, that everything was cold or heavy. I was just mesmerized, especially the colors of the ice. Yeah. With the light reflections, the wildlife, the whole ecosystem looks different from anything I'd seen before. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Amazing. So was there, um, did you like build up to that? You know, did you, did you do any cold water diving before you went there? I had a few sessions of prep in the UK. Oh, did you? Where did you go? I just the quarries, local quarries. Yeah? Yeah. But the prep kind of didn't go as much as I wanted it to because it was COVID and we weren't allowed to leave no nah. places. So it was a very interesting uh, step into the world of diving again after after COVID, where I'd had a long break. I'd been behind the desk and we really, I tried to work out at the university gym a lot to, to prepare. Yeah. But, and I went wild swimming actually more than I went scuba diving because mm -hmm. it's hard yeah. to get around during the pandemic and yeah. a lot of the diving places closed, but the rivers in Oxford were all accessible. So a lot of our friends would, we would just go swimming and it was yeah. freezing. And that was your training before you went up there. Yeah, that was wow. my training. Yeah. 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 Well, wild swimming became I think through the pandemic, it became quite popular, and even we were snorkeling in the river, weren't we? Yeah, 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 yeah. And that kind of helped, you know, leading up to my actual qualification. It's just a uh, yeah, because that's what that got fix. you into it. Yeah, you need that water fix. Like for me, not being in the water for that long was just torture. I was like, I'm going, I'm going <laughs> crazy. I need, I need to be submerged. I don't care if it's cold or if I'm wearing anything or not. I just need to be underwater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I think um yeah once you start in that watery journey whether it's yeah swimming diving free diving you do need that fix or yeah. seeing the water is just a yeah yeah, some, yeah yeah no that's so so what else um did you have on your journey through the Rolex scholarship 
So I had a series of technical training where I started with Intra to Tech with Mark Powell in the UK, who's been amazing. I then did my commercial diving qualifications. Wow. Crystal okay. Channel Diving Services, which was epic because they're the same um, diving provider that takes care of a lot of the dive safety for big natural history productions like mm-hmm. BBC Planet. Yeah. So to be able to learn from Neil and the crew that have actually worked on film sets and on scientific projects in commercial dive capacity was amazing. Also to be able to say I'm now a commercial diver and I can actually join commercial diving operations, in my case with a focus on science and media projects. So I don't do welding underwater, although it is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I have a friend who does, though. She runs a girls who commercial diving girls, and and just just a collection of amazing women doing welding and construction underwater, and they're wow. amazing. But my focus is science because I'm a scientist. Um, I got to go in the field with the Maldives Whale Shark Research Program. Yeah, which is the same organization I wrote my master's thesis with. So I was looking at the impact of tourism on whale sharks and analyzing injuries and in sharks from collision with boats. And so to be able to go in the field and work with them and get more data was fantastic. I then went to an island called Fumala in the Maldives, which now we're trying to set up a project on, where I got to dive with tiger sharks, yeah, with two dive centers on the island. And then... So I you had... know Samantha Howlett and Hussein... Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I met Sam, helped her with some coral service for a little bit. Um, then I had an epic underwater photography workshop with Alex Mustard. Yeah. Wow. wow. He, he, aside from being an absolutely brilliant photographer, judge, everything, he's also a big supporter of the scholarship. So when possible, he regularly takes on the scholars and takes them on photography workshops. Yeah, and this awesome was photographer. That was cancelled repeatedly because of COVID and when we finally managed to meet I was just so happy um, so I really got to maximize my camera that I was given by Refoto Video Nauticam that year and really pushed it and I found out I love macro photography even though I work with megafauna <laughs> um, so now I'm a shark shark conservationist who loves photography. What is it, what is it that um, excites you about my macro photography? Just the how meticulous it is yeah like the technical aspect but also the fact that because i usually work on sharks and bigger animals to actually get into that mindset where you're really looking for the small things on the reef and you're starting to see them and notice them and appreciate them and then you take a picture with a macro setup and you realize that this animal is so much more beautiful and sophisticated than you can see with your bare eye because the camera gets more detail so for me that was like opening up just mm. in the world um and it's a really nice balance to the big conservation science i tend to do is just to go out with the camera look at the small things and enjoy the small things in life like a metaphor as well but yeah, yeah dude, little fish are amazing <laughs> yeah oh, that's brilliant yeah yeah it's amazing um kind of having a camera opens up another world and or another aspect of diving it's so much yeah, it, so yeah. much and for me i'd only use it in a scientific capacity a camera underwater so it'd be like take a photo id of this whale shark or this manta ray or look at injuries or assess you know interaction with people and to then use a camera actually for more artistic purposes or more documentary purposes was just really amazing yeah yeah yeah, it's, yeah and 
it just shows how diving has so many aspects. It's, you know, you, already you've mentioned like technical diving, you've, the wildlife and now the photography and it's just... Commercial diving. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's something for everyone out there with diving, I think. Like I have friends who are like, oh, I don't know if I could dive. And I'm like, well, it depends on the kind of diving you do. Yeah. We, um, I think we got connected on Facebook. Now we um, got mutual friends. Um, and one of them was one of your mentors, Christina Sonato. Yeah. Um, and I think we got talking on one Christina's posts, I think probably about sharks. I can't remember now. And um, so Christina was one of your mentors, wasn't she? She was, yeah. And Christina and I mostly, we connected about the sharks, obviously, yeah. because I love sharks and I studied sharks from a conservation scientist perspective in my degree. And she works with sharks and she's um, a person that's really done a lot of work for human-shark relationships, yeah. which is one of my, my study specialties is to look at how people interact with sharks and how they connect with different species. And she's really done wonders by bringing into this element of connection and helping people have an interaction with sharks that you know you don't often see. Yeah. Most, most kind of forms of human shark interactions we see everywhere are either shark attacks or shark fishing or shark finning. And there's always these very strong, scary things. And she brought in connection, this like emotional connection, physical connection, understanding dif her different sharks' behavior. You know, she knows them all by name. Yeah. What she also did was introduce me to cave diving, which wow with wildlife i always wanted to try cave diving yeah but it was a thing i wanted to try you know i didn't think that much about it and then i i took my intro to cave class with her and i was like wow <laughs> <laughs> amazing you're basically hugged by rock underwater and it's really cozy and what more do you want and so um i came back very unexpectedly having really fallen in love with cave diving um but between all the things i do now with diving and sailing and science I have to kind of figure out where I'm going to fit cave diving into this. <laughs> just a pure passion thing. Um, and I would love to go back and spend more time with Christina and do, do my actual full cave diver qualification. So you were doing la laser photogrammetry. Yeah. So, what is um, that? Is that like that, 3D uh, photography? You can use it for that. In Christina's case and in the case of other projects I've worked on, it's a really smart system where basically you have two lasers yeah. on, on a pod or on a pipe, and you know the exact distance between these lasers. So let's say they're exactly one meter apart. Okay. You use that laser rod and you hold it up against a shark or a whale or a different animal underwater, and you take a picture with the two laser dots on the animal so mm -hmm. you know between the laser dots it's one meter uh, okay and you can use that to extrapolate the exact length uh, that's a good idea depending on how you use it so it's a really smart tool to help us really accurately determine the length of of animals yeah, yeah. yeah. and people do this in construction work too actually do um, they yeah it's like it's it's just a really smart system oh brilliant to, two laser dots and you know the exact distance between them and then you can just point it at whatever and actually get out get the <laughs> was that the first time you used that um it's the first time i've used it on sharks yeah 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 it's cool we're trying to get one now for the tiger sharks in the maldives we'd love to accurately determine some of their length on one of the projects did you doing. just hold it still and then the shark just swims past 
And you go, what? So that's the challenge. You have to get the shark when it's perfectly flat. If it's turning or, or curved or at an angle, the measurement you get isn't exact because it's it's not a perfectly flat surface. Yeah. So you, so Christina and I, we spend a couple of days where I was just following one shark with my camera and the laser photogrammetry equipment and just turning around constantly trying to get it when it was not moving so much, <laughs> perfectly flat against me. <laughs> yeah, you've got to have patience. Yeah, <laughs> And then the little fish, they think, kind of like cats and mice they think the laser is something to eat and the little fish start following it and going crazy about it <laughs> oh, yeah no it's amazing 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 yeah so what fun. what are you currently working on so currently my partner and i have started a project called miaru program miaru means shark in devehi the national language of the maldives okay and we have well, we're currently in the process of setting up a, a small research project on one of the islands in the Maldives that I got to dive in during my scholarship year. And the idea for the Miara program, aside from doing research, is something bigger. So we wanted to create a space where scientists, conservationists and storytellers come together to really look at human shark relationships. Because mm -hmm. from a scientific perspective, I know for sure that's an area that's heavily under-researched the exact sort of when humans and sharks meet, like what happens. Yeah. Uh, and also in storytelling and media, it's, it's one of the big gaps. Like I said, we always see the same stories. And I find that quite sad because sharks are a globally represented sort of group of species. Yeah. But we hear the same stories, even though mm -hmm. the, we can find them in over like 200, 300 countries. And so we wanted to set up a project that does both storytelling, photography and film, but also research on exciting stories where humans meet sharks. Um, one of those exciting things for me is looking at injuries in sharks, because we always focus on how people are scared or bitten by a shark, but actually yeah. we do more damage to sharks. So when I did my master's thesis, I looked at whale sharks in the Maldives and in my data set. Are you talking from things like fishing? Fishing, boats, tourism, um so many different things so right. all these example the whale sharks i studied in my masters i had 70 percent 70 percent of them that had really big lacerations like proper oh. cut from wow. propeller strikes from being hit by tourist boats boats that are speeding to find a whale shark running them over um and some of them have proper amputations like they're missing entire chunks of their fins really um, yeah it must be bad. awful to see it's just yeah it's it's devastating to see it's it's even more scary to see that we know this is happening and we're not doing anything yeah um, i mean another big example is the recent fishing tournament that was happening in florida where people were stabbing sharks with knives and things um so we'd really love to tell more of these different shark stories um and but how do you change people's behavior because isn't that the biggest problem don't you think it's like um you could say right a piece of water um yeah. is prone for pop you know where sharks will gather for what, whatever reason um which will also be the same area where it's the estuary what a lot of boats use to go out yeah. on mm -hmm. but then how do you approach 
is that do you, you know, it's very hard to get people's behavior to change. And um, I think it's probably through maybe through education, it's probably the only ch chance Definitely. you've got. I think what we really need is to help people connect with these animals. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because if someone ran over a dolphin, that would be really big news and it would be very terrible. And that person would get a lot of response for that kind of behavior. But, but does that happen? It it does, not as much with as sharks in tourist areas because dolphins are a bit smarter in the way they interact with boats. But it does happen. Like whales are globally at collision risk now. Um, a lot of whales are being hit by industrial like cargo ships and yeah. they're dying. Um, but because sharks are fish, so many people struggle to connect with them. Yeah, they're not mammals. Big teeth, right? They have big teeth. They have all this terrible media and they're fish. So why would we like them? Um, but if you actually spend time in the water with them, that's where diving comes in. Like I've always loved sharks because scientifically they're really cool. They're very yeah. special. Evolution's really done well. But then when you dive with them and you start to understand they have personalities, the same species of shark, different individuals behave differently, respond differently. Um, they have their own little quirks. And when you start picking up on that and the shark moves away from being this abstract, scary thing to this beautiful individual that has a name that you can recognize and that you know and that you meet repeatedly, that's, I think, when, when the shift Did happens. you approach like, boat manufacturers and that? Because at the end of the day, a lot of these people, um, you know, when they go to replace their boats and that, isn't there... I don't know, any kind of something that the manufacturers could do because it's their boats, isn't it? Yeah. And you know, uh, the world is changing. We are trying to get more environmentally friendly and uh, and people have more of a conscience when they're, mm. you know, on a similar tact, we observed something last weekend, you know, in a, a place where we were kayaking, um, people were using jet skis. And we talked about this on the last episode. Um, in an unrestricted piece of water, one mm -hmm. the a very beautiful part of North Norfolk here um, is a uh, a big area for breeding of our uh, seal population. Yeah, and and there's only like three or four different spots like this around the UK, and uh, at Blakeney is uh one of those designated areas you know it's kind of reserved and um and you just all, see loads you know hundreds of seals don't it's you a national trust area mm. um, and they jet ski there yeah jet skis what? and what? they are going full tilt you know they yeah. are going full speed yeah and there's like 100 seals in the water and it amazes me that you can if you go buy a motorbike right that can do let's say 70 mile an hour right in this country you have to have a license you have to go and have education you have to be trained and then you have to show an instructor that you are competent and you know how to use that bike but you can go and get a jet ski a big jet ski which is super fast big one as well they were powerful take two people on right and they are pretty awesome you know i love jet ski uh, and I think in the right place, great. But these people had bought them and just used them in a spot where there's 100, maybe 200 seals in the water. And I was like, why would you do that? Mm -hmm. And then go full speed 
right where they know where the seals are in the water. And, and it was like, frightening. Yards, yards from the sea, from where the seals are. Mm. I mean, A, I don't think that should be allowed in that area. B, I think it's time that we, we develop high like rental jet skis or boats as well to have the speed limit built in so you can't actually physically go faster than than whatever's but in the, in the right place they're good fun and you you know yeah. we, we don't somehow we've got to have conservation look out for these animals and allow people to do what they want to do uh i get that but i, I don't know and i think the only way you can do that is maybe as we um with education it's like getting manufacturers involved getting clubs and societies involved and you're with what you're doing is getting that getting that education because you you've got the qualifications you you're doing these things and with your project it's perfect thing to start telling people actually say you know with mm. you've got these sharks in the water you've got yeah. to think about that I, I tried, I presented my findings at the Maldives Research Symposium and it was the first time many people actually realized how bad the situation is. And, and the interesting thing is that in that case, the boats that are running over the whale sharks are the same boats that are trying to find whale sharks to show to the tourists. Which is mad, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and we've had a reduction in 50% of encounters. So we're seeing half as much whale sharks in the area as we used to. And so the point I was trying to make is that this is not just a conservation problem, it's actually an economic problem because mm. if the whale sharks stop showing up, what yeah. are these tourism operators going to do? All of these livelihoods depend on the health of these animals. So it's all linked. And I think that's what, what we need to work more on is to show people that it's all linked together, that our actions aren't separate from the environment, that yeah. A, we, we have an impact on the environment, but also that we rely on the environment um, and rely on the oceans. And once people start to see that, that actually protecting whale sharks isn't just a scientific thing people should be doing. It actually means that they have a guaranteed future in the job they're working in. Yeah. That's the key. But some people don't see that though, do they? Because they're just thinking about the pound signs, uh, you know, the, the immediate pound signs. And that's why they're racing out there to go see, see them and not thinking actually about the long term. Yeah. Uh, problem and by the time they do it will be too late then too because late. the yeah. whale sharks will have gone and yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean i think the maldives will turn it around because awareness is spreading quickly and there are fantastic organizations out there doing the work doing the research meeting with stakeholders trying to really push um and equally there are also amazing tourist operators out there who are raising awareness trying yeah. to tell their colleagues to to do better so i think it's just about helping those advocates more and raising their voices and their abilities to talk to to the people they are most close to because that's the one challenge with science and or generally anything is that people respond better if it's a colleague or a friend telling them something yeah but if it's someone from what they perceive as a higher up position or an outsider or some something foreign or a different organization something they're not linked with or connected with they get very defensive right yeah yeah. And this this happens everywhere, not just in the ocean space. Like if our friends call us out on bad behavior, we're like, oh yeah, you're right. But if some other person does it, we're like, who's who are they to tell me what to do? Yeah. And so it's about it's about finding those heroes in each community that can transfer the message and help start that change. Yeah. 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 And I guess people's perception of tourism 
sometimes can be quite bad that it is damaging the environment but it just shows that you can partner them up with organizations to do really good things as well massively i mean there are lots of brilliant examples of really well done sustainable tourism tends to be a little more on the pricey side of things galapagos galapagos yeah all the permits that you have to get to to even go on a liverboard but these things work um the challenge is they do shut some people out who can't afford mm. to yeah. to pay the fees or go diving in that way but i think at the moment when our oceans really need to recover that is a small price we have to pay or until yeah. this global behavior change and somehow everyone <laughs> is very sustainable <laughs> but yeah. yeah they do work the permitting systems they work well the galapagos is a prime example and it does show that and um you know, and it just shows that citizen science and um, and everything else that goes on up there does work. And, you know, the animals are, are flourishing, you know, and that has to continue, isn't it? You know, it is. And it, it helps people feel part of part of the work that's being done. Like I met a guy in the Maldives um, who met an oceanic manta ray. And he didn't know that the Manta Trust does manta research in the Maldives and is able to identify mantas and how that works. Um, It's quite simple because all mantas have spots on their belly that are unique, like our fingerprints. And so I was like, hey, send me your picture. I'll forward it to my friends at Manta Trust. And then they ID'd the manta for him and he got to name the manta and he named it after his daughter. And now every time he sees a manta, he's like, I'm sending the ID and I'm writing down (laughs) what time I saw the manta and at, um, at which depth and what, you know, how many people were in the water? And he's basically, he's providing data. Yeah. Right? For him, it's really exciting. But what he does is provide a really important data point for researchers. And so if we can do more of that, that that's amazing. And it's it's a great way to get more data and to get more people excited. Yeah. And now yeah. he always messages me and he goes, have you seen her again? I'd like to know if she's back. <laughs> <laughs> she isn't back yeah. yet. We haven't encountered her ever again yet. So we don't know where she's gone. Yeah. Um, but Clementa. Yeah, but that's an amazing example of getting somebody completely pas- passionate about something that just by giving it a purpose. Exactly. And making it personal and individual. Yeah. It's the same with sharks. When we say, oh, you can identify different shark shark individuals, you can tell them apart. People are like, really? And we're like, yeah. And then you talk to some of our friends we have or in the shark diving community, and they know so many sharks by name because they've memorized the patterns on their faces and the stripes and the dots. And it's it's amazing yeah. to bring that personality and individuality to these animals because that's really what helps people connect. Mm. Yeah. Do you know um, uh, Simon Hillborn from the Manta Trust? Yeah, I do. Yay. I work with him in the Maldives. Well, yeah. One of our previous guests. He's brilliant. He runs the Oceanic Manta Project, among many other projects. And um, he's, he's the guy that I send my Manta IDs to usually. <laughs> but yeah, I got to spend time with Simon and the Manta Trust team during my scholarship. And we were there photo IDing the Oceanic Manta Rays that come usually in April once a year that pass through the island mm-hmm. of Formula. We don't yet know where they go. Because um, we're going down to London, aren't we, Jen? Oh, yeah, the 17th of September. Day yeah. with Doug Allen. Yeah. yeah, 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 fantastic. No, Doug's fantastic. Yeah, yeah I look forward to that. Yeah. yeah, I wish I could be there. I miss the RGS. I used to sit in the RGS all the time when I was a student because they had a nice, quiet library. 
<laughs> they brought yeah. people together. They brought explorers and scientists together. So it's a fantastic space to be in. Yeah, no, and it also shows in the diving world how everybody is interconnected. It's such a small, although you think, oh, diving's worldwide, but then you know, just like now, we've got all familiar names and you've got that connection with them and you just think, oh, it's just amazing. You never know where we talking to somebody to is going to lead. It must have been uh, about a year ago, wasn't it? Oh, may- maybe a couple of years ago, um, yeah. Just having mm. a quick flick through. I can't yeah. remember when that was. That must have been 18 months ago, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. time goes by. It's a yeah. small world for sure and everybody knows everybody. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, and then when you talk about, like, conservation and tourism, it, that's such an amazing thing that everybody's got that within them to better the world and the ocean. We yeah. spoke to uh, Manta Trust on the... Uh, episode 43 yeah. 22nd of november uh 2020 yeah while ago yeah it was time goes quickly yeah yeah i was there in may which is now also a couple months ago yeah yeah and we've also spoken to uh the galapagos whale shark guys yeah, Jonathan well. green yes yeah. yeah yeah and that was incredible and yeah we had the Pacific. Noise. Mm, yeah did they tell you about how they tried to ultrasound a pregnant whale shark in Galapagos? Yes. Yeah, because that, that's, that's fascinating. That, that fascinates me, the fact that they don't know that bit. And I, I think that's great. It's, it's crazy. I, I test all my, um, all my work on my mom because my mom's terrified of the ocean and she doesn't dive. Um, <laughs> and, you know, one of your questions was like, who would you take diving? I was like, I want to take my mom diving. But so whenever I find something interesting that might help people feel more connected to sharks and potentially empower them in the conservation mindset i tested on my mom and i showed her some ultrasounds from tiger sharks that were taken in the bahamas um, by a sulikovsky lab and she was like what that's like when i had you in my belly and i was like exactly not quite exactly the same but you know similar the sentiment and instantly in my mom's head that shifted how she sees sharks she's like oh so they're mothers too i was like yeah they are mothers mm. they're not just you know, senseless fish um and I mean, again, it's it's a fine line because they're still wild animals and we do want to treat them with, with respect and not make people think too much that they're human, like anthropomorphizing them too much. Yeah. But a little bit of it, I think, is very helpful in shifting global shark narratives. That's like one of my my next dreams for the next year or two is to raise enough funding to buy an ultrasound machine and be able to train one of our local um, staff members in how to use it and be able to get some ultrasounds of sharks, which would be oh, fantastic. Wow. Yeah. So we spoke to the Galapagos Wild Shark Project uh, on the first, well, it would have been June, but June. Um, 2020. Yeah, 2020. And yeah. that came out the first. And uh, we spoke to Jonathan and Jenny from, yeah. uh, from the Galapagos Wild, Wild Project. Now, uh, that fascinated me because they were saying that the wild sharks turn up pregnant and then they disappear. Mm-hmm. They don't know where they go, and then they come back, and they've got a baby with them. It's like, wow! <laughs> the fact that there's still these bits of, you know, animals and science that we still don't know. There's still a mystery. There's so much we don't know. We actually, there's more we don't know than we do know. In some ways, yeah. they should stay a mystery because it's yeah. like that's really cool that we don't know this little bit. 
Yeah. And we we always say that everybody knows about the moon and you know all its geology and that sort of thing, and then the oceans is just limitless. What we don't know. It's one of the world's biggest challenges is to study the ocean, just because the water makes everything difficult. Everything corrodes. <laughs> If it's too deep, the signal of the tag doesn't transmit and like all these kind of things. Or it's too deep, so the tag breaks because it's not withstanding the pressure. Like, there's so much. Yeah. Ocean research is a tech challenge. It's the world's biggest tech challenge. People going to the moon and to space, I think people should be investing money into marine research because that's, mm. that's harder to find proper technology for underwater research than it is to build a spaceship. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about tech for a bit. So, yeah. you, um, uh, rebreather. Um, yes. you, you've done uh, a lot of diving on that. How 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 is your training? How, you know, what was the what was the deciding factor about getting into rebreather diving? To me, I always wanted to stay down longer. Yeah, you know those divers that try to really maximize their time on a single cylinder. That was always <laughs> no, I don't want to come up. Um, so one of the big reasons was just that that desire to be able to prolong the time I have underwater and then obviously looking at the kind of science I want to do in the future realizing that with rebreathers I'm able to have much more intimate wildlife interactions mm. which will allow me to get really important images yeah or capture video that would aid in studying a certain species but also going deeper than you can on on just a you know no, normal open circuit system so looking at things like tiger sharks or thresher sharks, which I would love to study at depth. Um, so then I was like, okay, well, aside from funding, which is always a challenge in science, was keeping me from doing this. And the big big piece was I, I don't have the training yet to be able to do it. So I said, okay, I want to be a rebreather diver. So I spent my whole scholarship year working up to that. And then at the end of the year, I, I went all in and I started on the AP. And now I've switched to the Revo because okay. it's more commonly used in a lot of film and research expeditions. And yeah, I'm in love. I mean, aside from being able to stay down for a, a few hours consecutively, <laughs> don't make any bubbles, so you're super quiet. All the fish come in your face. Um, and it's a brilliant tool, really, to be able to, to engage are you, with. Are you noticing that difference in animal behavior, you know, that you're not no, no longer blowing bubbles, that you're, you're yeah. finding it easier to... I haven't tested the rebreather with sharks yet because I still have to buy one. <laughs> it's very expensive. So I'm waiting for some funding or research grants to come through. Um, but I have gone on a dive with my instructor here in, in Indonesia and we had a pair of, of mating eagle rays. Wow. And they basically pretended like we weren't there. They were this close. Really? <laughs> you can have that if you're making bubbles. Um, and it's amazing. You know, in the meantime, I'm like monitoring my O2 levels and everything, making sure it's all good. Um, but I think it's a revolutionary tool for science. So do you rent it then? Is that how, yeah, you, so, how, how it works? Yeah, I rent it right now. Um, and then I'm hoping to put through a research grant or to put through a series of donations to be able to buy one for me, ideally one more for our team members, because our scientific advisor for the project we started is already a rebreather diver. Yeah. But for me, diving, more people should be diving and more people should try tech diving, I think. So we'd love to have another person trained as a tech diver. Well, I suppose um, it's that next level, isn't it? it yeah. It, because of the seriousness about it. 
you know um and that's probably why for for a lot of people i guess that's well not just the expense but also it's the seriousness of it is probably what puts a lot of people off i guess it is it is a commitment because you can't just chuck on a rebreather and jump in the same way you do on on a normal scuba holiday like you know i just put on my tank do my quick pre-jump check go you, you can't do that your your pre-jump check takes a long time your preparation takes time so the way you dive completely changes because mm-hmm. you're now working on a very rigorous checklist a rigorous schedule and you know like actual risks that aren't there in the same way with open circuit recreational scuba diving right and then also that means that you have to have a commitment to monitor monitor yourself monitor your system because when you're scuba diving, maybe you check check your gas a few times. That's it. But on a rebreather, you know, you're constantly listening for things. You're looking at your PPO2 yeah. level. Um, so it's it's definitely a mindset shift. And I think a lot of people start it and don't continue it because they don't realize how much of a shift they have to do or yeah. they're not ready yet. Um, or they're just so used to open circuit diving. It's also a logistical problem, right? Like you have to dive in places that are rebreather friendly <laughs> my dream is to set up a rebreather shark expedition but in remote areas that's going to need so much planning and so yeah. much safety measures and like extra gases on the boat and a medic and like access to a chamber so there's a lot more factors um yeah. but it's so rewarding like for me it's the most exciting and i think the most important step i've taken so far yeah and my instructor mark he dives to 100 meters and deeper wow on reefs. You know, he goes into the twilight zone of the reefs and it's mind-blowing because those are areas that unless you have a sub most people will never see so entirely unstudied yeah, pristine yeah. reefs no one's ever put eyes on um yeah. so to be able to do that kind of exploration where you're seeing something that actually hasn't been seen yet yeah is amazing and you're doing it without being in a submarine <laughs> Yeah, and it's a progression of science as well because you you're then like pushing those boundaries that much further that more opens always, up to you. I always think of um, our previous guest John Chatterton, and um, he was telling us about when he was diving on rebreathers right at the beginning uh, beginning of rebreathers. He was taking them down to like crazy depths, knowing it was going to fail on him. Yeah. Because that was part of the development that he would then have to fix it while he was that down there, you know, and it that was all part of the dive. And that's like uh amazing, you know, to be able to that that confidence and that understanding to well, be able pioneer to pioneer yeah, well. yeah, serious pioneers of mm-hmm. how you know people like yourself are using it in science today, you know, and that's just amazing. Definitely I worth really listening admire- to that the first ever rebreather divers because that was a, a huge undertaking yeah and go down there knowing that was bro- gonna break on him yeah amazing. and having to be re- you have to be so prepared and you have to know it's this goes wrong this is what i do there's no room to go uh what do i do now <laughs> yeah you have to have a plan for every single failure yeah yeah i think jill highness when we spoke to her she said similar things that yeah. she'd have to like make adjustments and yeah it's uh, incredible yeah. Jill's one of my big, big inspirations. She's also a huge supporter of the scholarship. I didn't get to meet her in my year because of COVID. 
but I hope that one day I get to meet her and dive with her um, because of everything she's done for diving and exploration and women in diving. And she's so, so laid back about it and so humble and so kind. And it's, it's just amazing. That's the other challenge in tech diving is a lot of people come in with big attitudes because they're using cool kit. Um, And I, I always find that really hard in the diving community, this sort of, energy about boasting your equipment and these kind of things because that's not what it should be about especially in tech diving like it's, mm. it's, a, skill, it's a tool it's not but you don't hear women say that though dear no. i less don't think so, you do less i have met some women with big egos too they do exist but much less i find but there's also less of us in the space <laughs> yes that's true yeah but we we've come across male characters in all different situations about going deep you know having this equipment and you think oh we had someone say to us um recently (laughs) you're not diving unless you're 25 meters down plus (laughs) okay Okay, but what if there's nothing to see there (laughs) i know (laughs) i don't think that quite works like that but okay i had to I met a person on my scholarship year that was diving on the same boat as I, and he was boasting about diving to 80 meters on a single cylinder of air. Really? And I was like, I don't even know what to say now to you because I could give you mm. like a link to all the medical reasons why you shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure every scuba instructor on the planet would tell you it's not a very safe or smart decision, but... No. You know, and then there's lots of people out there like that. But there's also people who aren't. So I try to focus on the good good ones. Yeah. yeah. And I yeah. think, you know, that is diving in reality. There's always going to be the characters of extreme. <laughs> and, yeah. And maybe they're doing sometimes diving for the wrong reasons. If it's like yeah. they've got to fulfill this figure of depth or and you think, is that I, what diving's I, about? I compare that to going to the gym. Because mm, a lot of guys, um, and I was probably guilty of this at some stage until I started going to CrossFit, where you think you've it's all about the weight, and it's not. You know, it's not about the weight that you can push. It's about the actual doing the technique properly, you know. Um, hence why when you go to watch a CrossFit competition, you see a girl who weighs 60 kilo with a, you know, lifting huge weights because they, they've learned and put the dedication in like we do with diving, like you do with learning how to use bre- a rebreather by putting the time in to learn and do it properly, mm-hmm. you know, and learn how to dive on it safely. Safely. Yeah, that's exactly. You know? I had it in my commercial dive training that someone was laughing that I was coming up the steps very slow. And I went, I'm weighing 55 kilos and I'm carrying roughly 40 kilos of weight. You weigh 80 kilos. So proportionally, actually, I'm stronger than you. Yeah. I'm doing <laughs> True. I gave you like 65 kilos of kit to carry. Things would be different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's absolutely true. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's perception as well. And you've just got to sometimes think of yourself and be safe for yourself and do what you want to do exactly. to achieve what you want to achieve yeah yeah i think christine always come out with that um the five any rule and that is such a good rule and we've stuck by that as well yeah we dive 
And I think for anyone else um, who's listening, I think the five any rules, you know, um, to cancel or die for any reason, um, down to that is really good law to go by. That's always the hardest thing to tell new scuba divers, that it's okay to cancel a dive. Because mm. they're always, and you know, Gareth Locke does amazing work on these human factors of diving. Yeah. And they're always scared of looking bad or making people upset so they don't want to cancel a dive. And that's something I find very nice with diving with experienced groups of divers because they go, hey, I'm out today. And everyone's like, yeah, cool. And then yeah. that's it. It's not even a discussion. Yeah. 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 yeah and that's, you know, it's one of the, well, most important rules of diving probably that you, you can call don't it. Don't be scared to do a buddy check. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Most yeah. people don't do buddy checks anymore in scuba. Like, all the liverballs I've been on, people just go, meh, <laughs> they yeah. just jump in. Someone just close. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we've seen it happen. Like your dry suit hose yeah. is not connected and it's just yeah. like, oh, yeah. boom. <laughs> your zip's not done up and it's just like, <laughs> yeah, there's all these different things. But no, but yeah, it's really, really good to hear. Yeah, yeah you wouldn't want to dive in a dry suit and not have your zip. No, uh, you really undone. wouldn't want to do that. You really would yeah. not do that, especially yeah. cold water. That would not be fun. No, it's not fun. No, definitely not. So we better um, ask you some questions, you know. Sure. We haven't, done, we haven't done that at all yet, ask you any questions. Um, I've got one question I'm just going to uh, quickly ask you, though, is, you know, you seem like a confident person. What gets you out of your comfort zone? What gets me out of my comfort zone? Mm, in diving specifically? Yeah. Uh, I think cold water because yeah. I've always dived in warm water. I love cold water diving because of what you can see. But every time in my head, it's it's a really big undertaking. I'm like, oh, it's going to be cold. and Because it's not the same, right? You come up from a dive, you can't just take off your wetsuit and walk around in a bikini. You're also freezing. Maybe your undergarments are a little bit wet. There's wind. <laughs> uh, and I remember this in my training during my scholarship year. In November, I was diving in Cromwell Quarry on twin cylinders. And I was just like, this is cold. Why am I doing this? And every time it's, I wake up and I'm super excited to dive. Then I remember it's cold and my brain goes, hmm, do we really want to do this today? So it's definitely always something that I actually have to overcome. Because once I'm yeah. in the water, I'm really happy. But mm -hmm. up until I'm submerged, it's always such an effort. I still do it, but it's it's a conscious like effort and push yeah i think that's what put a lot of people off diving in the uk a lot yeah is because of that and because of the you know um a lot of parts in the uk um they're only accessible for the sea um for just short periods of time and then the rest of the time you're kind of the only places where you can go especially if you've got a train on them is the quarries and you know they're cold Usually, as a walk, you've got dark, yeah, <laughs> it is, and that is. And I think that is, I can totally understand why a lot of people only do liverboards, you know, yeah. if they live in the UK. But UK offers some really awesome diving, especially in the it's sea, fun. and uh, it's quite extreme diving as well. And people always say that if you've learned in the UK, yeah. dived in the UK, your preparation for blue water diving is there. 
Yeah. For Blue Water, for Tag, all the British divers I've met abroad, you can instantly tell them apart because they've they're usually really good with buoyancy. They're u- really good with like self awareness because they're used to diving in murky waters. So they're also really good buddies because they they really look for you. Whereas tropical right. divers are like, whatever, I can see you. You're a hundred meters away. <laughs> <laughs> the British divers are like, no, we stick together. We get ready. Like, it's you definitely notice it. And I too, I'm grateful. I did my my first like steps into tech in the UK. Mm. my commercial diver in the UK in October November which was miserable it was raining and cold but it's it's made me a much much better diver yeah. I did my GOE fundamentals at Vobster Key oh, did also in November um, and I was thinking to myself why am I doing this because oh, yeah. <laughs> I love the course but you know we'd wake up it'd be raining the quarry was super murky uh, you have to put on the dry suit and everything but I came out of the training and then came to warm water and I was like, wow, this is great. <laughs> yeah. And it's so worth it. And yeah. it's I can recommend start in the UK and then you'll be good to dive anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. And we've spoken to so many people that are just such fans of UK diving for you know the level of difficulty um yeah. it offers. But then you know, our marine life as well and you know it's, it's very easy for people to dismiss it because it's, they think oh it's cold it's dark and the weather's always raining but we do have so much to offer yeah. it's so worth it the wrecks are spectacular in the north mm, yeah but yeah i also just love that most people start their open water in a dry suit in the uk or yes. everywhere else in the world if you have a dry suit specialty it's like wow you're really advanced <laughs> you're cold water, water, open water divers are like what i started with this thing yeah (laughs) it's really 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 good so if you could take three people into the underwater world Hmm. who would you take my mom number one because she still hasn't dived and she's terrified but I know once she's down and not scared of the regulator anymore she will love it (laughs) um and it will make I will make more sense to her as her daughter because right now I don't make sense to my family (laughs) (laughs) like what happened to you Why, why are you always underwater um the second person I think would be one of the presidents of one of the countries that are either actively doing a lot of illegal fishing or a lot of shark fishing because I would love to take someone in a really high up position and make them connect with an animal yeah and see how that affects policy it would be a social experiment um third person that's a tricky one I think I'd love to have the third person be someone like Jill Heinert or maybe Fabian Cousteau or maybe even my friend Aaron Agramson, who I still haven't dived on rebreathers with together um, and just have a really advanced diver by my side who I look up to and, and do a project or something. I think that would be my, my three people. So it would cover like the whole triangle of someone yeah. I know. Someone I think who needs to see the ocean and someone who I really want to share a dive with. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, good choices. Good. Yeah, very good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we like to give our listener a bit of a nugget in life. Mm. Um, so if there's a nugget we can, uh, you can uh, give us to share with our listener, what would that be? It doesn't have to be about diving. If, it, it's, if it's about diving, great, but it doesn't have to be. But something that a listener can take away as a learned point what would that be Mm, i think it'll be an ocean life nugget um if you want to work on the oceans in the oceans or on ocean issues you don't have to be a biologist 
this is something I've always found very puzzling is that everyone thinks the only way to work at sea or help the ocean is to study biology. Like yeah. Most of our ocean problems are people problems, overfishing, mm. illegal fishing, pollution. Those are all questions that go back to land and back to people. So if you're a lawyer, if you're an economist, if you're a political scientist, if you're a teacher, you can become an ocean person. You can use your knowledge because we need a lot more of that in the ocean space. Like if we had more lawyers trained in addressing ocean issues, if we had more economists trained in blue economy, if we had political scientists actually studying conflicts at sea specifically, like if we had entire courses that are more than just marine biology, yeah. but like ocean social sciences, how amazing would that be? Because I think that would really transform the oceans at a social level and at a political level. And I think that's what we really need. And yeah, yeah you don't, biology is amazing. But if it comes to solutions for most of the ocean problems we have now, more biology and more ecological information is much needed and it's always good. But for some of these problems, we already know enough to act. We might not know enough to understand the true gravity of the problem, but we definitely know enough to act. And to act, we need all these other disciplines and all these other people. So you need more educators in that? More educators and more more disciplines empowered to look at the oceans. Um, like, if you're a lawyer, have a look at ocean law. You know, if you're a political scientist, look at how you can use political science to help us see. If you're if you're an artist, make more ocean art. If you're a filmmaker, learn to dive and start doing films underwater on yeah. stories that are different. Like, really, I think the yeah, my big life nugget is: if you love the ocean, then you're ready to go. You don't need yeah. to study marine biology to it's, dive or help the ocean. That's particularly true, uh, especially with filmmaking, because yeah. how many of these movies, especially Hollywood movies, they've got massive budgets, Huge. and then you watch them, and they're hideous, hideous. You know, the the <laughs> you know the physics usually involved are uh, so far you know bizarre and uh, not correct. It, it just makes a joke of the movie you know, as a diver because yeah. you think, well that's not going to happen, you know? And uh, yeah, that you, I think that's a fair point you've raised. Yeah. It's a big gap. A lot of the people making media aren't the same people that love the oceans. So they don't choose the topics. And I'm only seeing this now more because my partner is an underwater photographer filmmaker and his yeah. entire work and the trips he leads, the wildlife trips are all about connection with the ocean, helping people connect with wildlife. And that's really made me realize, looking at his pictures and his videos, he comes at it from this connection angle. And it's such a different experience watching his clips and pictures yeah. compared to someone who just took a camera and just went in. Because you have to know what to look for. You have to know what to capture. And I think that's another big, big gap we have in the media landscape is people filming who actually understand the animals. There's, mm -hmm. There are some brilliant individuals out there that do it, but very yeah. few yeah yeah and also our planet is 70 percent ocean ocean yeah and yet there's such a little focus proportionally again on that huge 70 percent very little yeah. i wish i wish always that one of the people investing into space travel would invest into marine research because the millions of dollars that go into us flying into the space <laughs> yeah if we had if scientists had like hundred grand each they'd already make a really impactful project with it let alone like a million dollars to do marine science yeah 
most of us scrambling for grants constantly and it's like small grants like ten thousand fifty thousand you know got these billionaires who just wanted to have 10 minutes up in in orbit didn't you know branson and uh bezo uh, the amazon guy you know and uh, it's like you're absolutely right you got all this stuff right on the doorstep and they don't explore it yeah and it is planet help the divers help the scientists (laughs) yeah get in the ocean get in the ocean yeah yeah so if you had a billboard that you could put out to the entire world so you could put it on as words or it could be images videos what message would you put on your billboard and why I think I would put down a if I had funding I'd put down a come experience the ocean with us for free and set up a bunch of projects where people who've never been at sea can go experience what it's like to look underwater for the first time. Because there's so many, like even in the UK, I, I just saw yesterday, there's a film being made called Finally I See. And it's about a group of London students who've never been to the ocean. And the film captures their reaction to seeing the sea for the first time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think my message would be, would be that, just get more people to see it. Because once you see it, I mean, we're the best example. You would just captivate it. Yeah. yeah. It's possible yeah. not to be. Yeah. And the UK, for example, is an island and there are so many mm-hmm. islands There's, you know, around the world and people, you know, I live on the coast, but there are people that live here that don't go to the beach. And I'm right. thinking, I don't understand that at all. And so many who can't swim in the UK. Yes. Maldives, yeah. Yeah. In Turkey. We've got entire like countries and cities next to the ocean and the inhabitants have never been further than they can walk. By <laughs> a magic wonderland under the surface waiting for them. Yeah. But I guess some people just wired differently. Some people don't, don't want to see, you know, I can think of people in our, the town where I live and they've spent a lifetime of never actually explored, never mm. even had a passport got no interest in it and that's very hard but then that is why we need people like yourselves um and the alex mustards of the world to highlight to even people like that to say well actually this is what is going on in the world this is what's actually going on in the ocean and even though you might not leave your hometown very often or ever um this still because climate change will come back at some stage to affect you and affect your children in yeah. time. As, you know, we're experiencing today, you know, it, um, our hottest time ever, you know, in the UK since records began, the, the biggest, you know, hottest temperatures ever this year. So and it, it does affect be, everyone. It's going to be the coldest summer we'll have in the UK because next summer is going to be hotter. Be hotter. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the the dryness, there's no rain, and, you know, these are all things that should be kind of in people's heads now, like this is happening for a reason because of us, and it is all about education at the end of the day. It is, yeah. I think another another thing I'd love to put on a billboard is you have probably touched a shark today without knowing. (laughs) (laughs) Sharks are everywhere. They're in our dog food. They're in our cosmetics. They're in our medical research. They're in tech research. There's barely an aspect of human society that hasn't been touched by a shark 
either through inspiration or through a shark derived ingredient nowadays. Wow. So you could have, you could have a picture of something random and say it with that slogan. Yeah. And people wouldn't <laughs> get have to think about that connection. So many women's cosmetics, so many medications are, are, are done using shark derived ingredients or, or using shark genetics as samples. It's amazing. it's amazing. Cancer research, car design, airplane design media sharks are everywhere and most people don't realize this mm. dog food has shark in it sometimes you can go to spain on a holiday order a, a like a fried fish and you get shark but sold under a different name mm. it's still so common i think that's another thing i'd love to help more people see that we're so connected with sharks without realizing it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. people won't know <laughs> No, really, that's just like and it really interesting conversation. We've covered so much as well. Yeah. And so much. We've gone all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but that's and that just shows the ocean brings so much, you know, joy and knowledge, you know, and fulfills so many aspects of life. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So but yeah, thank you for being such an, a great guest. It's a yeah, incredible. Thanks for having me. It's so exciting to be here. That <laughs> no, was great. That's great yeah. for coming on. So where where do people need to go to to follow you? So I have social media, but I'm starting to use it more because being a scientist, I wasn't really much on Instagram up until the last year or so with the scholarship. Um, best way to follow me is my website, which is www.arzujanscoalaskin.com. Hard to spell, so you'll get the link. Um, if they want to follow or even help our efforts with the shark projects we're looking to set up from a science storytelling conservation or even funding perspective miaru.org m-i-y-a-r-u.org we're just in the starting phases and we'd love some support um yeah that's the best way to follow me yeah <laughs> well we'll put all those in the show notes as well Amazing. so people can click on them and uh, find out a bit more about you so but yeah, yeah. yeah thank you yeah. yeah, I'm always up for emails, questions, collaborations. Feel free to message me, whoever's listening. <laughs> and keep us informed about your project, and then we can share as well. So uh, happy to do that. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that'd be great. Yeah. Keep us posted on that. Yeah, so have you got any diving planned for this week or coming up? Yeah, more freediving training and a little bit more rebreather hours um which is amazing we get to do both in the small town we're in right now it's sort of a free diving heaven but it's also a really great place for tech diving so i get to switch from wearing nothing but long fins to wearing all the rebreather and all the stages <laughs> all the gear <laughs> all the gear excellent <laughs> i like to switch it up <laughs> oh brilliant well certainly a life full of variety yeah really yeah good. yeah well, thank you very much for coming on. It's been really good and uh, glad we, you know, we got that done. That's, that's been brilliant. It'll be really good to share. So, uh, yeah, so nice to see you guys finally. <laughs> yeah. Yes, okay. Welcome back. I uh, hope you enjoyed that conversation that we had with Azuki, Azuzu. Yes. And, um, uh, you know, I say thank you very much to Azuzu coming on and uh, giving us some of her time yes yeah it's really well she mentioned so many people didn't she yeah 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 a lot of them uh previous guests um so go back to our episodes if, if you want to look at some of the conversation and find out about the people that she mentioned yeah and uh just be really good to watch her journey as um she yeah evolves. really positive and really nice so uh 
I think um, you know why one you know why we get people like Zuzu yeah Zuzu on. Yeah, it's not, um, you know, for what everything she's done from commercial diving to marine scientist, it's just such a varied yeah. world that she's had already. Yeah. And she's still obviously very young. Yeah, one to watch for the future. So uh, we wish her all the best. And uh, again, thank you very much for coming on and sparing us some of her time. Yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, coming up next time. Uh, now, we have got a short break for about a week, haven't we? Because. Yeah. Um, you're well, diving. Uh, yeah. Well, you're diving I'm diving, well. yeah. Then you're away walking up hills and doing silly things like that. <laughs> uh, and then um, that'll be... So the next episode will be out on Monday 31st. 31st of October, yeah. Coming with us is Mr. Steve Lewis. Who's Steve Lewis? He's from Raid. Yeah. So he's the, um, the, the VP marketing at Dive Raid. Vice, prin- vice principal? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's uh, got loads of experience and um, we had a great conversation with him. So um, Never that... met him. Uh, sorry, we have not met vice, him. Pres- vice president, I meant. Oh. And um, so, yeah, we met him at the Go, Go Diving, Diving Show, show yeah. March 2022. And we hadn't met him before Before no. then, not come across him. We were introduced to, to Steve and um, I... I always struggled hearing in big areas like that. But, um, yeah, honestly, it was brilliant. We could have talked to him for hours. It was, we? yeah. He's really interesting and, yeah, just done so much as well and really promoting the diving agency raid. Very well known in the diving, diving world. Uh, you know, he's done a lot of teaching, mm. a lot of technical diving. Um, you know, what more can we say? You, you know, he is one of the uh, guys who, if you do a lot of diving... Um, you would come across Steve at some point, I'm yes, pretty sure. Yeah. yeah, so that's one to look forward to. So. It is, yeah, it's really good. Um, and he's out in the, oh, right out in Canada, isn't he? Mm, in and the wilderness, right yes. Right out yeah. in the wilderness, and um, yeah, brilliant. So look out look out for that. It's coming, you know, Steve's coming on in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, so in the meantime, check out our website and uh, let us know what you've been up to, whether you've yeah. been diving or on the water, under the water. Yeah, there's loads of ways you can contact us. You can contact, contact us through um, the power of social media. You've got uh, email, you've got WhatsApp. It's all on our website. All you have to do, just remember, the Big Scuba podcast. Go there and Google it or go to bigscuba.com yeah. and, uh, you know, You'll get loads of details about how you can contact us and some of the brands that we help support. Pictures of us Pictures doing of our us. stuff. Yeah. 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 So, so, yeah. And all our adventures. But keep an eye on our social media because we'll be pretty active over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And then we'll be back on the podcast very soon. Yeah, there was. So don't forget to leave us a review. or That always comes handy. And as we said, don't cost a single thing. It doesn't. So, uh, mm. And we'll give you a little shout out. How's that? And uh, we always appreciate for for the people that come up and say hello as well. You know that lot from the big scuba? <laughs> they yes. see our flag flying. What have we done now? <laughs> yeah, so if you're at Stony next weekend, come and say hello. Yeah, be a friend. So that'd be really cool. All righty. That'll yeah, do. I think that's I think. it. Yeah, we'll carry on it. with our Sunday. Thanks for downloading. Uh, we really appreciate uh, you guys who uh, regularly download the episodes and uh, and listen to us prattling on and uh, talking to our guests. Yeah, we really enjoy doing this. And, uh, yeah, thank you for listening.
That was The Big Scuba. See you next time. See ya. Bye. Now that does wrap up today's episode of The Big Scuba podcast. But if you want to hear more from the podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button depending on what platform you are listening on. That way you will never miss an episode from us. But if you are listening on Apple Podcasts and did enjoy what you heard today, we would really appreciate it if you head to the show page to leave a five-star rating and review. It really does help us. If you do, please take a screenshot of that review and send it to us on Instagram and we'll give you a shout out to say a big thank you. If you have any questions for us or anything that has been mentioned in today's episode, be sure to reach out to us on any of our social media platforms or send us an email. The links are in the show notes. We will get back to you no matter what. If you have made it to this point in the episode, we both want to say a big, big thank you for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode.